Okay, we're learning Daf Yud Gimel. So, just jumping in now, let's try to give a little bit of an introduction to what we're talking about. So, there's been different uh, amounts of money that are given for the Ksuba, depending whether or not the girl is a Besula when she was taken, or if she was a non-virgin. So, the basic idea is that for a virgin, for a Besula, it's 200 Zuz, or for a non-Besula, it's 100. So, the situation that we looked at in, uh, in yesterday's Mishnah was a complicated Mishnah, and we're going to continue with it today, which is where there's a given dialogue here between the, the husband, the new groom, and the bride. The husband takes her in, and he says, whoa, you're not a basula. I thought I was marrying a basula. So the wife says back, she says, at the time you married me, the time you gave me the ring, I was a basula. But what happened was, before you had a chance to be intimate with me, somebody else raped me. So in other words, my ksuba is still 200 because at the time you married me, I was a basula. It's just I was raped afterwards and it was, un, you know, it was an unavoidable, it was under duress, it wasn't my fault, I did nothing wrong. So for my ksuba is still the same amount. And um, the husband here it claims that it's not that way. I mean, he doesn't know that it's not that way, but he says possibly you might not be telling me the truth and it might be that really you had relations before you ever accepted the ring from me and uh, I don't know, it, I don't know you the full 200. So the mission was talking about a dispute between Rabbi Gamliel and Rabbi Yoshua. Rabbi Gamliel says that we believe the woman. And there are different reasons why we believe her in the Gemara. First of all, her claim is certain, and the husband's claim is not. Right? The husband's saying, maybe, is not like you're saying. He doesn't know. He can't have any way of knowing. The wife can say, I certainly can tell you this is what happened. So first of all, her claim just fundamentally is stronger. She's a Bari. He's only a Shema. Second of all, she is a Migu. She could have said perhaps something better. She could have said that maybe my, uh, I never had relations at all. And the fact that you don't find any signs of me being a basula is because I had an accident. You know, the hymen may have been ruptured in a different way, not through relations. So I didn't, try, I didn't do anything wrong at all. She could have made that claim. So she could have said something better, and she didn't. So that's evidence that she's telling the truth. Furthermore, furthermore, there's something called a chazaka about her body. Every girl starts off being born as a basula. The question is, when did this girl lose her basulim? So we should assume that that happened at the later point. If we don't know when something switched, you always assume the status quo that it switched later. So presumably she turned to basula only after, as she turned from basula into a non-basula only after she already was married. So it's like her words. Well, because of all of that support, Rabbi Gamliel was saying that we believe the woman and she collects the full amount of the ksuba. Whereas Rabbi Yeshua said, nah, we don't, pull, we don't live off of her word, meaning we don't fully trust what she's saying. We don't know. So she wants to pull money away from her husband. She needs to bring a proof to what she's saying. If she can't bring a proof, then she doesn't. One more introduction that we have to remember is that in a case uh, where a woman does actually trick her husband, she presents herself as a basula and then whatever, it's confirmed that she really had relations from before and she totally tricked him. In that situation, does the husband have to pay her nothing for the ksuba because he says, you tricked me. I don't have to pay you anything or no, fundamentally it's the same woman. He definitely has to pay her. Just he doesn't have to pay her for the price of basula. He only has to pay her like the, the, the price of a non-basula, which is 100. That's a dispute that we learned previously. And one more dispute, which we have to remember, is that what's the status of a mukas The status of a mukas is a girl who does not have signs of, of, of being a virgin, but specifically because the hymen was ruptured through an accident. There was like, you know, some wood or something that, uh, that got stuck there and removed and ruptured the hymen. So in such a scenario, what is the status of that woman? Is that woman considered a basula or not? On the one hand, physically, she, 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 the hymen is ruptured. On the other hand, she never had relations with anybody else before. So that was a dispute in the Mishnah between Rabbi Meir and the Rabbanon, whether or not she is considered to be like a basula or not. Rabbi Meir holds it's like a basula. She never had relations. The Rabbanon say, no, since the hymen is ruptured, so it's only a ksuba of less money. So trying to keep in mind all of those contradict, all of those introductions, background for the last four days, let's try to jump in here to the Mishnah. Yud Gimel Amadal, top Mishnah. 
So now again, we're talking about a claim and a counterclaim here between the, uh, the Chassan and Kala after they have Bia for the first time and there's no signs of Basulim. So he, Omer, she defends herself by saying, you know why you didn't find any signs of Basulim? Because I am the victim of a wood injury. So meaning here she is claiming that that I never had beer with anybody before, but I had an injury from this wood before they were saying, who am I? He says, how do I, how do I know that you're telling me the truth? Low key. Maybe it's not the truth. Eladrus says, Ishat. Maybe you really tricked me. And maybe you had Bia, you had relations with somebody else before you were married to me. So again, she wants the Ksuba and he's saying no. Now, what exactly is he saying and what she's saying? We have to see in the Gemara. How much money does she want and how much money is he saying? So we'll see in the Gemara about it. But in the basic dispute, we have the same exact opinion. We believe her. Yeshua says the same words as yesterday. We don't live by her mouth. Meaning to say, we don't believe her. We have to assume that if she's a Ba'ula now, she's not a virgin, maybe the husband is right, his position is correct, that she had Bia before she got married. Until she can bring a proof to her claim. So the Gemara now analyzes Tanasai. He doesn't know. Very, very important here. The husband doesn't know. His taina is Shema. He's saying, I don't know that what you're telling me is the truth. It's possible that the reason you're not a Basula now is because Shema, you had relations before you ever married me and I've been tricked. What? Meaning, he's saying that he just didn't find it, but between the time she got engaged or married and the time he's making this time now, how does he know that it happened in between that and that? Like, right, you know you're right, yeah. So we have to remember Daftas, which is, which is that in most scenarios, you'll have a Sfex Fekah, and that's why she's not also him. You're right. If, it would, if a person is saying, otherwise, you know, it was Pasif Basuaf, and if it's, not, if it's, if it's an Asian's Kohen, or it was a case where she was under three when she was in Kabbalah Kedushin, she might be Asr. But in most cases, she won't be Asr because it's a double doubt. So now the Gemara analyzes, Hanasayu Bamai. What are their claims? Meaning, how much money does the bride want, and how much money is the Chassan fighting with her over? What's going on? So again, she's claiming I am a mukase. So she's claiming that my hymen was ruptured before I came in. And he's saying, maybe, maybe you had Bia before you ever married me. So Rabbi Yochanan says, the dispute is whether it's 200 or 100. She's claiming I get a folk suba because I never had relations before I married. I am a mukaseit. Rabbi Yochanan says that the woman can still claim a folk suba even though she was a mukaseit. And the husband's saying, no, I only have to pay you a mana because he's saying, maybe you tricked me. And then if you tricked me, then I only have to pay you 100. No, it's the, the bride is saying, I want at least a mana. She's conceding she doesn't get a full 200 because she's a mukaseitz. And Rabbi Lazar's view of mukaseitz can only, can only demand 100. And the husband's saying, I don't have to pay you anything at all because I was tricked. I'm wondering, maybe you had relations with somebody else before you married me, and therefore I was tricked and I don't have to pay you anything at all. So if you notice well, there's two issues at hand that are in dispute. Number one, if a woman was a mukaseitz before she came into the marriage, does she get 200 or 100? Rabbi Yochanan is assuming 200, Rabbi, Yochanan, Rabbi Lazar is assuming 100. That's one discrepancy. But then there's another discrepancy. In the, hus- in the husband's perspective, if a woman was, presents herself as a basula, but the reality was she was a baula, according to Rabbi Yochanan, the husband pays 100. According to Rabbi, Rabbi Lazar, he says, I was totally tricked, I don't pay anything at all. So both of those points are in discrepancy here between Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Lazar. So the Gemara speaks this out. Rabbi Yochanan Simon Mana, that they're arguing about 200 versus 100. He holds like Rameir that we learned about a couple days ago, that when she was known to be 
that her hymen was ruptured through a wood injury, if every, whether or not it was known or not known, but Lamaisa, she was in Mukas 8, the Ksuba is 200. So according to her words that she was in Mukas 8, that's considered like a basula. She deserves a Ksuba 200. We're going like Rameir. Again, the Rabbanan said not. The Rabbanan said the hymen was ruptured, then she only has 100. But wait, Rabbi Ochran also, we're going like Rameir, that, that, that according to her words that she's in Mukas 8, she gets 200. Rabbi Lazar, Omer, Bimana, Whereas Rabbi Lazar is saying that she's only demanding 100 to begin with because he was like the Rabbanon that if a woman is in Mukasait, her amen was ruptured, then that's still just like a non virgin. A non virgin only gets a ksuva of 100. So here her amen is ruptured. That's not considered that her basulim are there. So if her basulim aren't there, then she's only demanding 100. So that explains that side of the dispute. If she claiming in her words that she's in Mukasait, 200. According to Rabbi Yochanan, because we're going like Rameir, as according to Rabbi Lazar, 100, because we're going like Rabbanan. So the Gemara analyzes, well, why were they doing that then? If there's a dispute in the Tanoim, in between Rameir and the Rabbanan, why is one Amora making our Mishnah like Rameir and one Amora making it like the Rabbanan? So Bishlam, Rabbi Lazar, Lachem, Rabbi Yochanan, we understand Rabbi Lazar didn't make it like Rabbi Yochanan, we'd rather make the Mishnah go like the majority view of most Rabbis. As Rabbi Yochanan, my time with Rabbi Lazar, why would Rabbi Yochanan say like Rabbi Lazar? Meaning, why is he saying that the Mishnah is only going like Rameir's minority view? That a Mukas 8 gets 200. Why would you make the Mishnah only like Rameir? Why did he say it that way? So the Gemara says, because of the other discrepancy. Let's bring this in here. If it was a case where a woman presents herself as a virgin, and it was, she was found that she really had relations before, in, 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 what's the halacha? It's not considered that she doesn't get anything. She still has a ksuba of a mana. So if the husband is right that she had relations with somebody before, she still gets 100. So then wait a second. So then they're saying the same thing, whether it's according to her claim that she would be a wood injury victim or according to his word that maybe she had relations with somebody else before she came in. They would both agree that she gets a mana. What would they be arguing about? But whether it's Mukase's before or whether it was a Bia before, either way, you get 100. It must be that she's claiming 200. It must be that she, in, her, in, her, in her perspective that she was in Mukas 8, then she gets the full 200. So the mission was going like Rameir. So basically, it starts with the premise that if it would be like the husband's claim that she had relations with someone before, she still gets 100. It's not a total trick. She's still a woman, right? It was a marriage. It was a marriage to a woman. I, I wanted a basula. I got a basula. It's not a total trick. She just, you know, you don't have to pay 200. You have to pay 100. Rabbi Yochanan holds that way. Therefore, the husband is saying, I only have to pay 100, but he's, he is admitting he has to pay 100. So then what are they fighting about? They're both only saying 100. Terence says that she's claiming 200 because our mission is going like Rameir, who holds Mukaseh, gets 200. So now the Gemara now speaks out. Now, we have two Mishnayas between Rabbi Lezer, between, we have a Machlokas, where we come with Rabbi Lezer. We had yesterday's mission and today's mission. Yesterday's mission was, she responds and says, I was a rape victim after I got married. Today, she's saying, I was a Mukaseh. But they essentially, both Mishnayas are saying the same thing. Is it a question, do we believe the woman because of her certain claim or not? So Bisham, Rabbi Lezer, Rabbi Lezer, who holds that if she was not a version, she doesn't get any ksuba at all. In the husband's perspective, she doesn't get anything. That's why we had two different Mishnayas discussing the dispute between Gamliel and Rabbi Yeshua. One was excluding from Rami Bar meaning in our Mishnah here, uh, where, where according, according to what she's saying, that she was in Mukasais, maybe the husband didn't know about it, but she, he still has to pay. In other words, it's not, if I didn't know that she was in Mukasais, and Mukasais is still, it's not considered, you know, like. Um, damaged goods in any way. Even though I wasn't aware of it, it's not considered a trick and you still have to pay. According to her words that she was in Mukasei, you have to pay. Rami Bar Chama told us a couple days ago that if a woman presents herself as a basul and she was in Mukasei, that's considered tricking her husband. In our Mishnah, you would see not like that because she's saying she's in Mukasei and the husband wasn't aware of that and he still has to pay up. 
So that would be why we have today's Mishnah. And yesterday's Mishnah, where, we, where, where the husband is saying, maybe, maybe you had Bia before the Erisin and then it was a Mecca Taz. And in Mecca Taz, the implication is she doesn't receive any Ksuba at all. So that would exclude the viewer of Rukhiya Bar Abin, who said that if a woman presents herself as a Basula and she was found to be a Bula, that's a Mecca Taz, also doesn't have to pay anything. So that's the reason why we would have two Mishnahs to bring out two different points. Our mission is bringing out the point that a Mukas eighth that tricked her husband could still get two hundred, and a, a, a basula that presents that with someone who presents herself as a basula who really had relations before their marriage may not get anything. That's what I see from yesterday's mission. Again, that all works within Rabbi Lazar's perspective that that is the law. Rabbi Yochanan doesn't hold that's the law. Rabbi Yochanan held that the woman who presents herself as a basula and fails to be a basula still gets one hundred. That's how we knew in our mission again that we're going like our mayor. She's saying Mukas eighth, I get a full two hundred. So the Gemara wants to know why do we have two mission? Mishnayasim one after the other. Aren't both Mishnayasim and Gamliel and Rabbi Yeshua essentially the same? Whether or not she's claiming I was a rape victim after I got married or she's claiming I was a Mukas 8 before, either way, the question is, do we believe her because it's a certain claim? Or do we say, no, at the end of the day, you're trying to take away money from your husband, so you have to bring it, you have to bring a proof. Why do I need two Mishnayasim? What's the nafkamino, what she's claiming? Is she claiming I was raped afterwards? Is she claiming Mukas 8 before? Why do we have two Mishnayas with the same dispute? So the Gemara explains. One Mishnah is telling us how far Rabbi Gamliel's view was, and one Mishnah is telling us how far Rabbi Yeshua went. saw the first Mishnah, yesterday's Mishnah, was telling you Rabbi Yeshua's, Rabbi Yeshua's strength. In yesterday's Mishnah, what was she saying? She was saying, I was a rape victim. What would a woman, if a woman was lying, what's she going to say? I was a rape victim or I was a Mukasetz? She's for sure going to say Mukasetz. Rape victim, she's ushered to a Kohen, it's embarrassing, there's all this stuff coming out. If she's going to open her mouth and break say, I was a rape victim, so there's a support to her, a natural support. Hey, if she said that, believe her, right? So there's a strength, that's called a migu. If she's gonna lie, instead of saying that, she could have said that. So by the virtue of the fact that she was brazen enough to open up her mouth and say, I was the rape victim, that gives credence to what she said. And nonetheless, what did Rabbi Yeshua say? That's not enough, that's not support, that's not proof proof and there's no belief she's not believed. That was the Chiddush of yesterday's Mishnah. In today's Mishnah, it's a Chiddush in Rabbi Gamliel's opinion. Today's Mishnah is telling us how far Rabbi Gamliel went. Today she's claiming Abba Mukas 8. So even though she dates, she does not have a migu. What kind of migu do you have? What If she was lying, what should she have said better? This was the best lie possibly that she could have said. So and yeah, so there's no migu and still Rabbi Gamliel is saying that she is believed. So after all is said and done, the Machlogas Rabbi Gamliel and Rabbi Yoshua is whether or not we take on like the woman is saying, even though she doesn't have proof, just because she is making a certain claim and there's a chazaka that her body was probably a virgin until later. Or do we say we need proof and proof is not coming for just because you have a better claim, you need proof. That's the Machlokas and it applies whether or not she says I was raped after I was married or whether or not she defends herself by saying I was a Mukas Eitz before I got married. Either way, it is like that. And again, we conclude that there is a big dispute between the Amoraim, if a woman presents herself as a Basula and in fact she had relations before she ever got married, what is the law? Does Is it a Mechatos, so the husband doesn't pay anything? Or is the law that he still has to pay 100? That ends in dispute. Now, the Mishnayos continue with more disputes between Rabbi Gamliel and Rabbi Yoshua. So it's really a tangent now. Before the last two Mishnayos, they're arguing about the money of the Ksuba, and now they're going to be arguing about a different issue completely. It's about Yichasen, where a woman is pregnant and she has a, a, a child, and we're trying to figure out, or for herself, she has a relationship with someone we don't know, and we're trying to figure out, can we believe her to tell us who she has a relationship with? So the court sees an unmarried woman, nothing to do with a married woman, unmarried woman, but she's speaking with somebody. 
Now, what does that mean, speaking with somebody, right? She's having a conversation. Well, so we'll see in the Gemara. It means more than just an ordinary conversation. She's doing something that looks a little sketchy with somebody. And we don't know who that guy is. Who is this guy? We don't know who it is. And she's doing something a little bit sketchy. So if you had a relationship that would make you ask her to marry a coin. There are many types of relationships that if they're promiscuous, will ask her a woman to a coin. So we don't know who this guy is. So we ask her, who is this person? So she responds, he's the most kosher yid out there, right? She says he's so-and-so and he's a kosher coin. So the question is, can we trust what she's saying? We saw something sketchy, so can we still believe who she, who, what, what, according to her word, who she is with? She's believed. In other words, there's a chazaka, and this is very important. There's a chazaka that she's kosher. That presumably, every woman starts off being kosher. The question is, does she ruin that by having some sort of illicit relationship? We don't know. We, just because we don't know and we see something sketchy, but there's a chazaka. So if there's a chazaka, she is believed. That's what Rabbi Gamliel's opinion. The same exact rhetoric here. We don't live by her mouth. Meaning to say we can't trust her. We have to be, we presume, and really the presumption here doesn't mean like we know, but it means we have to be concerned that she had deal with a nasan or a mamzer, meaning someone who would render her unfit to marry a coin. Maybe the guy is not kosher, unless she can bring a proof. Meaning once we see something sketchy, and again, we'll see in the Gemara what it is that makes us nervous, but once we see something nervous, then now we can't trust just because she says the guy is kosher, and we have to be nervous that she's not kosher or coin. Says the Gemara, another case, let's say she, she's pregnant. We say, whoa, 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 pregnant, single girl, what's going on? Who's, who's the father? So she says, she says it was so-and-so, and he's a kosher kohen. Say she is believed. We now can establish that the kid is a kosher kid, assumed to have kosher yichos, the best of yichos. And the same thing, we don't live by her mouth. Ella, rather, we have to assume that she's pregnant from an until she's able to bring a support to her claim. Now, again, what is the novelty of this second case more than the first case? In the first case, it was a question of her question of her, and because we didn't know who the guy she was talking to. In the second case, it's a question of her fetus in the pregnancy. But what really is the difference? We'll see in the Gemara. Why do we have two cases with the same exact dispute? So here we go. Says the Gemara, what does it mean we saw her talking? Obviously, it doesn't mean, right? You see a woman talking to somebody, you're nervous that she's not kosher to a coin, right? Can't mean an ordinary conversation. So there was seclusion, and that's the big idea. Normally, you're not allowed, this idea of being secluded, secluded is always yichud, is a way that we, is always nervous, maybe it led to something more. So we saw just seclusion. And according to Zeiri, seclusion alone makes us nervous. So again, if she secludes herself with someone that we know, so maybe we're not happy about it, maybe we're like, maybe you guys shouldn't be good together, but, but, but okay, he's a kosher guy, fine. So even if they had relations, she's still kosher. But if she secludes herself, which is sketchy, and now it's someone we don't know, we saw, who is that guy? We don't know. Now we're nervous to know about who she is. Could she be with a Kohen? Whereas Ravasi Omar Nivala, it's only if we know she had Bia. Ravasi says, just because she secluded herself with somebody we don't know, that's not grounds for concern. Why should we be nervous? It's only if we know she had Bia that we know specifically that there was relations. So now, 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 now we're nervous. And again, that means the witnesses literally saw the act of relations. But if it was just seclusion, 
seclusion alone is something that uh, you know she could defend. And if, for example, even if she doesn't defend, but but she is a migu, she always could have said, "Who said I ever had beer with the guy?" So even if she admits it, that's a migu. She's probably telling us the truth. So according to Rav Asi, unless we saw them actually having relations, we're not going to be concerned. So now the Gemara says, What was the language of the Mishnah? The Mishnah said she was speaking. So according to Ziri, that language makes sense. According to Ravasi, the point is that they had Bia. So why did the Mishnah say they were speaking? So the Gemara says, Listen, the Mishnah speaks in a euphemistic way just because we're trying to speak in a clean language. It says the adulterous woman says she eats, wipes her mouth, and says, I did nothing wrong. So what is the context of this passage with the adulterous woman who eats? Who eats? That is a euphemism to having illicit relations. Says the Gemara, according to Ziri, that's why the Mishnah spoke about two cases, where she, where she was speaking and when she was pregnant. Why do we speak about both cases? Because speaking is bringing out the case that even if she just secluded herself or nervous, and then where she's pregnant is a bigger chedish because we know she had a bia there. That's why the Mishnah says both, both cases. Both seclusion makes us nervous and where she's pregnant, obviously, no. In both cases, there will be a dispute. According to Ravasi, the first case as well was where she had bia. So it's equivalent to a case where she's pregnant. Whether we know Adam saw the relations or she's pregnant, in both cases, you know she had a bia. So, so it's the same exact case. So Mark explains, no. One case is, ne- is necessary to say that she is fit to marry a Cohen from her own words. And the second case is to say that her testimony is believed even in regard to a child. Meaning, not only do I take on like the woman is saying for herself, the second case is adding that she can establish the yichas of her child based upon her words. And we'll see more about that novelty on the Amid base. Says the Gemara, actually, it's a dispute. That's good. That who, according to the opinion who says that like Rabbi Gamliel, that we believe her, then we believe her for her child as well. Actually, we're going to learn that there's an opinion that says we only, we only uh, believe her for herself. We don't believe her for her daughter. And we'll have to see a whole thing on the Amr Beis. What's the machlokas if she could be believed for the daughter? Basically, the question is, the chazaka that she was assumed to be kosher, that is about her. So just because you could believe her because she has the chazaka, how does that help for the uber? The uber, the new, the new child, from the very onset that we know of, of the uber, we are a doubt. Maybe it's not someone who's kosher. So there's a question of whether her chazaka can help for the child, and we'll learn more about that. But according to that opinion, Michael and Meymar, we're not saying in the second case that she's actually believed for the kid. So the Gemara says, you're right. You have to say the Ravasi holds like the opinion that the, she is believed for her daughter as well. And that is the second case. So in summary, what are we coming out with? The Mishnah had two cases. One was where she was speaking and one where she was pregnant. What is the point of the two cases? According to Ziri, the first case where she was speaking means that she just secluded herself with somebody we don't know. And as soon as there was seclusion, we're nervous that there was a bia, it was sketchy. We can't trust her according to Rabbi Shua and Rabbi Gamliel saying that we could. The second case of the Mishnah is where she's pregnant, where she was certainly a bia. And again, the same dispute is there, even though we know there was a bia. According to Ravasi, if there's just seclusion, that's nothing. We're not nervous at all. It's only where she had a bia. The first case was that she had a bia. So what's the two cases? First, where she had a bia, she's believed for herself. And the second case is that even when she's pregnant, she's believed for her daughter. Continues the Gemara. We analyze the Iri. According to you, the Iri means when she was speaking, she was secluded. Rabbi Yeshua was saying that she is not believed. What does that mean? According to Rabbi Yeshua, even if just seclusion, that is like evidence that they had Bia. Must be Rabbi Yeshua saying that. Rabbi Yeshua is saying we don't believe her, even though all she did was seclude herself with a guy. Frank the Gemara, how could that be? Our principles are not against that. We give out lashes if somebody does yichud together with someone that she shouldn't. Let's say a married man is alone in a room with a closed locked door. Just keep it simple. Closed locked door with, with, a married, with another man. What's the law? So, so we give out lashes. We're upset about it. 
but she's not usher on her husband. Why is she not usher on her husband? If we're really scared she did it, and that's the concept of yichot, then why is she allowed to continue to be with her husband? You're concerned that she was an adulterous woman. The Tarots is, I don't really think in an objective sense she committed adultery. Just because a woman is in a locked room with another man doesn't mean she committed adultery. She's a chazaka that she's kosher. I, you shouldn't do it, but there's no, there's no, there's no assumption that be a happened. That's our fundamentals of yichud. Yichud is a paradox. On the one hand, don't do it. A married woman cannot be alone in a locked room within, with another man. That is the law. Yichud. But if it happens, she's not also around her husband. So wait a second. That's an axiomatic idea. It's not like Rabbi Yeshua. Because Rabbi Yeshua is saying here in our Mishnah that as soon as the woman secluded herself in that room, in that locked room with a man we don't know, we're so concerned that she had deal and we're, that it was with someone who's not a kosher guy that she can't marry a Kohen now. We don't even trust her to say that the guy was a kosher guy. So how does Rabbi Yeshua's opinion fit with some of the principles that we have in our understanding of Yichud? So the Gemara says, Afilu Tamer of Yeshua, there's a higher standard for Yichas. What does that mean? To marry a coin has to be really, really legit. What does that mean to say? Generally, Yichud, we're not concerned that it be a happen. A married woman's alone in a locked room, we're not going to ask her on her husband. But to marry a coin, we have higher standards. And as soon as an unmarried woman is in a locked room with a man who we don't know, all things are off. It's no good. And we can't trust her now for the future. Clape all marrying a coin. So the whole essence of our mission that we don't believe her is all in regard to the, her future of marrying a coin. It's not in an objective sense. We think she did it. And normally in call it Tarakula just because you're alone in a locked room, even if you shouldn't risk that. But you're not, we don't think now that she had the beal. But it's specific to the standards that we have to marrying a Kohen. That's where our Mishnah was taught. So a very, very important caveat here. That the whole Mishnah, that we don't believe her in Rabbi Yeshua's opinion, when she secluded herself is all because of a higher standards for Yichus. Says the Gemara, we have a kasha, it says, we saw her enter into a man, into a secluded place. And now, at what happens after that? Or Lachorva, or first we give a different case, or they're in a ruin. So a ruin is a private place. So we're giving two things. Either the private place or a ruin. So Amr lo matilu shalishpon. And then we said to her, who is that man you were with? So she said, Kohen ben She says it's a Kohen, and you know, it's the son of my father's brother. So, okay, it's a, it's a cousin, which is totally fine in the Gemara's times, obviously. So, 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 so she's claiming that it was a kosher guy. So she's believed. We don't live out of the word of her mouth. We have to be nervous that maybe she was with a Nazar her mom, unless she can bring a proof to her claim. So what is it, what's the question? This is basically what we had in the Mishnah. So it's different here is that it said two things. It said she was in a secluded place or in a ruin, which is a private place. So why do we have two cases? That speaking means seclusion. That's why we're emphasizing it. A secluded place or in a ruin. We're emphasizing to say that, that, that no matter what it is, any kind of secluded place or where she entered the ruin, still we have this with Ravasi. Ravasi said speaking means bia. According to Ravasi, being alone in a private place means nothing. So Elamai, what was speaking? Speaking was doing bia. So what's going on? How do we understand the two cases over here? So the Gemara says, you're right. Chalakatani, the price is actually telling us one case. They went into seclusion in a ruined place, and we have to say that there was actually witnesses that saw them have relations. So we've defended Ravasi. Again, it's very forced. The language is they went to a secluded place or a ruin. But we say, no, it means they went in a secluded place to a ruin. It's one big case. And da, 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 we know they had relations there. And then we say, who is that guy you had relations with? And then she says, that's where there's a dispute. But again, according to Rabasi, if we don't know that there was relations, even if they secluded themselves, there's no grounds for concern. 
Says the Gemara, come on, you can't change the language. Come on, it said into a secluded place or a ruin. It sounds like we're talking about two different cases. Says the Gemara, one case it was a ruin in a city. One was a ruin inside of a field. What's the difference? Either way, the case is we know she had Bia, right? What's the difference where it was? So it's necessary. If it was a ruin in the city, so in the city, most of the people in the city were kosher. So I, why? Because they were Jews. So I could say, we're talking about a city where most of the people were Jews. So if it was a ruin in the city, so I could say there, the reason why we could, Rabbi Gamaliel believes her is because most men would not make her puzzle a That's a whole new variable we're bringing out. If she's doing it in a city where most people are kosher Jews, so even if she's sketchy, and even if she's having BS, an unmarried girl, and we don't know who it is, and we're more nervous, but most men in the city are kosher. Most people, the most men in the city wouldn't render her unfit to marry a coin. So maybe there, Gamaliel says it's good. If she goes out into a field, where now I'm, I have no clue who it's from. It's from the whole world. We don't know. It's not from the city. Most people in the world are puzzle, right? Most people are going, most people are unfit. So you know, when you, once it gets to the whole world, so now the majority says that probably the guy that she was with was no good. So I would say there, maybe he agrees with Rabbi Shua, she can't marry a Kohen. Yes, you know, but he, if the price only spoke about the case of the field, but he can Yeshua, maybe Rabbi Shua only said she disqualified because it was in the field where most people are no good. But if it was in the city, I would say maybe he agrees with Rabbi Gamliel that we can believe her because we're over the people in the city were kosher. So both cases were necessary. So we're coming out, we've defended Rabasi. The cases we know she had Bia. And the question is, with who? Rabbi Gamil says, believe her. Rabbi Yeshua says, don't believe her. But we're emphasizing that the dispute doesn't matter whether the context is in a city where most people are kosher or in a field where it's just the world out large and most people are not kosher. Either way, the same dispute applies. Either you believe her or you don't believe her. So now we're going to bring a long bride here. Mace, we have a question from a bride. This is testimony that the woman herself is believed. Right. This is again according to Rabbi Gamliel that the woman is believed to say that she was with that she was in the relationship with someone who wouldn't disqualify her. As Rabbi Shua said, in an amen, she's not believed. So now the Gemara tries to bring dialogue between the two. Amalem Rabbi Shua, Rabbi Shua tries to, to prove his position is correct. So he said to Rabbi Gamliel, What happens if a woman was captured? A woman was captured at war. And there are witnesses who saw that she was captured, meaning that's a given fact that she was captured. And the woman says, but you know something? I'm still pure. How could she be pure? She was captured by Goyim, right? What does all the Goyim do to their, their captives? They raped them, right? So how could she be kosher to marry a coin? So she's saying, it didn't happen. I'm telling you, I, I'm telling you, nobody touched me. She makes such a claim. What's the law? Don't you agree? She's not believed. She can't marry a coin. And the reason is, is because that's usually not what happens. Usually the guy will rape the, rape the victims. So, so we can't trust her. Ah, she had a chazaka that she was kosher before. No, we don't, can't believe her. What's the shot? Because there's a maila for Yilson to marry a Kohen. Once something sketchy happens, we're nervous. So what do I see? I see the principle that to marry a Kohen, you need a higher standard and we can't always trust a woman. So this is Rabbi Yeshua bolstering his position from here. You agree, you yourself agree to that law that when a woman is captured and she claims I wasn't raped, that she's not believed and she cannot marry a Kohen. So so to here, once you appear with somebody we don't know, we have to be concerned and therefore we can't trust her. So Arulo Avo, they said back, you're right in there. Meaning they don't say what the distinction is. They just say, you're right by the captive case. So Rabbi Yeshua said, I have been Zulazu. So then what's the difference? If you admit to me by the captive case that she's not believed, so how come you don't believe me in the case that we're talking about where the woman secludes herself with someone who you won't know? So they responded, Lazu yesh edim. By the captive woman, there are witnesses. Lazu ain't edim. Here there are no witnesses. What do we mean to say? Over there, 
we totally know she was captured by the, by the Goyim. And we know that it's normal for Goyim to rape their, their captive. So therefore, it's basically as if we have witnesses that she was violated. That's why we don't believe her. But over here, we don't have witnesses. What do we have? We have seclusion. All we have is seclusion. All we have is yichud. So we don't even know that she had relations. It's only she admitting to you that she had relations, but she's also telling you it was a kosher guy. So therefore, we can believe her. Great. This so far sounds like the dialogue is in a case where we don't know that she had bia. It sounds like it was seclusion, which is the reason we're bringing in this bride. But then Rabbi Yeshua continues. Um, then Rabbi Yeshua says, Avlazuyeshadim. But even in a case where there are witnesses, you still said that 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 that, that you believe her. Because Shari Karsabinchinao, what a case what about a case where her stomach is between her teeth? That's a, that's an interesting language. Her stomach is between her teeth. It means a case where she's pregnant. In a case where she's pregnant, you clearly you know she had Bia, and there as if there are witnesses that she had Bia, and you still said that she was believed. Remember, even in a case where she's pregnant, you still said that she was believed. So even though there are, we know she had Bia, we're still believing. So Amrullah, they responded, most Goyim can't hold themselves back from having relations. So what, what's the answer? What's the answer? How do, what, 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 what was the give and take? So the Gemara will get that. Amalami said to them, there's, nothing that, there's no guarantor against having a rise. So the Gemara will explain what was the give and take over here. Give the Gemara a second. But before the Gemara does this, the price concludes, what is the case where a woman is believed? Only where it's about herself to marry a coin. That's where we can believe her. But when it's about testifying for her status of a daughter born, everybody agrees the Vlad is a shtuki. Shtuki means to be quieted. What does that mean? That the kid is quieted? We'll have to see coming up in the Gemara. There's a lot to analyze here in the price. So before the Gemara even gets to why we brought this price up about the challenge that we have to Ravasi, first we clarified this hard dialogue between Rabbi Yeshua and Rabbi Gamliel. Again, Rabbi Yeshua was bringing a support to his opinion that she's not believed in the case of where a woman is taken captive where she's not believed to say that she, was, that she wasn't raped. And Rabbi Gamliel is trying to distinguish. So the Gemara says, My Kamaluhu, what was he saying to them? My what were they responding to him? So the Gemara says, This is what they were saying to him. You're right. You answered us in a very convincing way in a case where it's pregnant woman. If it was a pregnant woman, you made a convincing point. We know she had relations, so why should we believe her? Rabbi Yeshua, you've made a very convincing point. Now, that doesn't mean Rabbi Gamliel agrees. It just means you've made a convincing point. This is very interesting in the laws of debate. Sometimes somebody can debate and you don't choose to respond because the person making the argument is very sound. But you'll still debate with them on the point that you could. And that's exactly what happened. Rabbi Yeshua said that the case of the captive proves that the woman is not believed in the case where she's pregnant and in a case where she only secluded herself. So the, the Rabbi Gamliel said back, you're right in your parallel in a case where she is pregnant because you know that she had a bia. But what would you answer us for, the, for our distinction that we're making if she only secluded herself? So meaning Rabbi Gamliel is saying, you say that a woman is not believed both in a case where she's pregnant and in a case where she only secluded herself. Why? If she only secluded herself, we don't even know that she had Bia. So Amalahem, Rabbi Yeshua said, because the case where she secluded herself, it's equivalent to the captive. In what sense is it equivalent? In both cases, we don't actually have witnesses that there was actually Bia. Even in the captive case, there was no witnesses. So we don't believe her there. We don't believe her here. So the rabbi said, no, they jumped on that. There, by the Shuya, it's as if we know that there were Bia because all the Goyim can't hold themselves back. So she was taken captive. It's as if we know she was raped. Whereas over here, just because she secluded herself, we don't know that she had Bia. Amalahem, he said back to them, no, Hanami, this is true. Even to Isar, as soon as a woman was secluded, there's no guarantor against them having relations. So meaning to say, Rabbi Yeshua is saying when she secludes herself, we, it's as if we know that there was a Bia. 
And Rabbi Gamliel was fighting back on that point and saying that we don't necessarily know. So I have to say, this is a very hard thing because in the debate, let's just make sure we have clear what happened. Everybody agrees where a woman was taken captive and she's claiming that she wasn't touched. We do not believe her she cannot marry a coin. That seems to be, in all the logic, a great parallel to a case where a woman was impregnated by somebody, impregnated by somebody we don't know and she's claiming I'm still kosher. Still seems to be the exact same thing. And yet... Rabbi Gamliel, for some reason, says that we believe her. And he doesn't give the reason. In the debate, he almost seems to concede to that case. But Lamai's Rabbi Gamliel still argues. You have to remember that. It doesn't, he didn't agree. He just didn't care to make a distinction. And in the situation where she was secluded herself, there Rabbi Gamliel got really mad at Rabbi Yeshua drawing a, a parallel from the case of the captive. Whereas Rabbi uh, Yeshua was saying, no, you know, I still think it's a good, it's a good, it's a good um, parallel. So at any rate, now that we went through the brides, and now we get how this goes back to Rabasi's interpretation of our Mishnah. The brides spoke about two cases, where she secluded herself and where she was pregnant. It totally rejects Rabasi. Rabasi's whole point is that if she only secluded herself, nobody says that she's not believed. Clearly, from the whole give and take in the debate here, they're talking even in a case where she secluded herself to Yuvta. We, in fact, we reject Ravasi. We totally reject Ravasi. And what are we coming out? We're coming out that even where she only secluded herself, Rabbi Yeshua is saying that she is not believed. Rabbi Gamliel is saying that she is believed. And that was the give and take that they were having in the Brisa. Whether or not where she secluded herself, could that be compared to the case of the captive? So now the Gemara brings just a new, a new, a new point in the analysis of the Brisa. But typically, an obvious question. In the case of the captive, all of the captives, are, all of the men who were with her would puzzle her. They're Gaia. So there, majority of the men who, who would have raped her would, would render her unfit. So as soon as you know she's taken captive, she shouldn't be kosher for the coin anymore. But the case of the woman, where even when she was, she was secluding herself with an unknown man, most of the men in the, in the city are kosher. So how stam is Rabbi Yeshua drawing a parallel from the case of the captive? So the Gemara answers, and this is the point that we made before. According to Rabbi Gamliel, who said that we believe her and that she's kosher, he says that she's kosher even if most of the men who were in her surrounding context were not kosher. Rabbi Gamliel is not dependent on the variable that most men around her are kosher. Even if it's a context where most of the men around her surroundings were not kosher, Rabbi Gamliel still trusted her. That's why Rabbi Yeshua was jumping on him and saying, so why is it different than the case where she was taken captive? And according to the one who doesn't believe her, Rabbi Yeshua, he says that, he, that she's possible even if most of the men around her were fit. All right, now we elaborate more on the Mishnah. We alluded to this in the According to Rabbi Gamaliel, that we believe her, we believe her not only for her own status, but for the status of a child that she has as well. We assume the child is kosher. Whereas according to Rabbi Yeshua, that she, we don't believe her, then we want to believe her for the child as well. The child can't marry a coin. Even though Rabbi Gamliel, who believes her, only believes her for herself, but he agrees that the daughter would not be kosher. What's the distinction between believing her for herself and believing her for her daughter? For the mother, the mother has a chazaka. Chazaka is status quo. The mother was known to be kosher to a coin. She was born kosher. The question is, did she mess it up by having a forbidden relationship? So chazaka, status quo, is that she was kosher, we believe her. But Bita, in regard to her daughter, she has no chazaka of kashras. Why? Because from the, fet, the fetus, from the moment that, of her inception, from the moment that she was conceived, we don't know, is the father a person who made her apostle or not? We don't know who the father is. So Klape, the 
mother, she has a chazaka, the mother's belief for herself in support of the chazaka. But clapping the fetus, the fetus doesn't have the chazaka. So who said you can believe the mother clapping the fetus when there's no chazaka in relative to the fetus? So the Gemara says, What did the Brizer say? The Brizer said, We only believe the woman's testimony for herself. But in regard for the fetus, we believe that the kid is a shtuki. So what is a shtuki? A kid who is silenced, my love, shtuki, apostle. A shtuki, normally we assume, is that he is silenced and disqualified from kuruna. We think that the terminology of shtuki implies that he is silenced from marrying a coin. So we're saying that in regard to the child, everybody agrees that the kid is a shtuki, meaning everybody agrees the kid is not believed. So it's clear that what? That we don't believe the mother clapping the child. So lo, shtuki v'kasher. Rabbi Yochanan says, no, it just means it's a shtuki. He is silenced in the sense that if the father was a Kohen, and we'll get to this, uh, we don't know who the father is. He is silenced from certain aspects of halacha, but Lamai says he's kosher to marry a Kohen. So the Gemara says, whoa, 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 what does that mean? Mika, shtuki, v'kosher. What does that mean that they're talking about a case of a kid who's shuki but could still marry a Kohen? So the Gemara says, I'll tell you the case. In Kedishmul, like the Amr Shmuel, Asar Kohenim Kohen. Let's say there were 10 Kohenim, all kosher people. One of them gets out of the group and has bia with a woman. So we know one of 10 kosher people had bia with a woman. So we know the kid is kosher, right? Whoever one of the ten it is, it's fine. But the problem is we don't know who the daddy is. Avlad Shtuki. The kid is a Shtuki. So what does it mean he's a Shtuki? My Shtuki. Also, if it means that he's silenced from the property of his father. Meaning we don't assume that when the father dies, this kid could take possession of it. Of course not. Pshita. Because we don't know who the father is. Umi, Adina Avua. Do we know who the father is? Of course he can't inherit his father in front of other certain heirs. Because we don't know which one of the ten he's inheriting. Means we silence him from taking the kuna, meaning he can't serve in the base of Mekdash. There's a new law that even if you're a kosher Kohen, but if you don't know who your father is, you're silenced in the sense that you can't do the avodah in the base of Mekdash. So it's a new aspect in halach. Of course the kid is kosher. Of course the kid is fine. But to do the avodah, you have to know who your father is. And now we're on a tangent. Nothing to do with us. In our case where the question is, is the kid kosher? Of course we can believe the mother even clapping the kid. Of course we could say that the chazaka, the mother, can still help for the kid even though the kid doesn't have a chazaka, like defending that opinion. This that we say in regard to the kid, everybody agrees. It's a shtuki. What do we mean it's a shtuki? It's a shtuki that he can't do the avodah in the base of mikdash. Because that's the law. If you don't know who your father is in such a case, you cannot do the avodah. Where does that come from? We just leaned it at davening. What did we just say? With Pinchas, it's going to be for him and his offspring after him a covenant of priesthood. We give to Pinchas for him and his children. So what does it mean, lo ulizaro acharo, for him and his children after him? Only somebody that, that has clear lineage where the children know who the father is, they can do the But this kid is excluded because he doesn't know who his father is. So we're coming out, just to make a summary, that according to Rabbi Gamliel, that we believe the mother. There is a dispute in the Gemara if we believe the mother not only for herself, but even clap at the child. One opinion says, yes, once we trust her, we trust her for her and to establish what the child is. One opinion says, no, she has a chazaka, the child doesn't have a chazaka. That ends in a dispute. Again, that's all within the view of Rigamliel. Rabbi Yeshua says we don't believe the mother from the mother at all. Now, what is the case that Rigamliel and Rabbi Yeshua argued about? Certainly it was a case where she was pregnant. We don't know who she's pregnant from. But did they also disagree in a case where she secluded herself with a man that we don't know? So we're coming out that even though it was a dispute before, but we came out, we refuted the other opinion. We come out that they are arguing as well in a case where she secludes herself. And even though normally seclusion is not tantamount to having relations, but here it's a new myla. It's a new special law that we made. If you want to marry a Kohen, everything has to be kosher and pure. As soon as she had yichud with somebody we don't know, according to Rabbi Shua, we don't 
don't believe her, she cannot marry a coin. But again, according to Rabbi Gamliel, she could, in fact, marry a coin in the future.